a beer? Sure. I ain't on duty no more. you do it? Oh, never mind. I'll figure that out in time. Why? Why did you do it? I know why your brother Tanner did it. He robbed them banks because he liked it. He shot my partner 300 yards away because he liked it and made him feel good. If I hadn't blown the shit for brains out, there'd be a New truck out front with jet skis and whatever else he could think to buy. He'd spend it all just to give him an excuse to steal some more. But not you. Uh, there's nothing new around here. Except them pump decks. Each one of them making you a month what you and your brother stole from all four banks combined. Help me understand that. Help me understand why four people died. So you can steal money that it don't seem you've spent, that it don't seem you need. You got a family? My partner had a family, a big one. They don't got no pump jacks in their backyard. I didn't kill your friend. Yes, you did. By setting this thing in motion. You expect me to believe your dim-witted brother planned this? Oh, no. This was smart. This was you. I've been poor my whole life. Told my parents, their parents before them. It's like a disease. Passing from generation to generation becomes a sickness. That's what it is. In fact, every person you know. But not my boys. Not anymore. This is theirs now. now. I ain't never killed no one in my life, but if you want me to start with you, let's get on with it, old man. See if you can grab that pistol before I blast you off this porch. Scott, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would always you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? Do you think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of The Greatest Moments in the History of Forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 225, Hell or High Water. And this is listener request number 15, brought to us by Peter. 
after a uh, brief detour to the obscure, we're back in the world of mainstream. Briefly. Yeah. Briefly think, until we head into one trashy summer. Well, that's right. Some eps <laughs> that people aren't really going to be uh, super excited about, but the Hell or High Water, was that a Best Picture nominee? Yes, it was. Okay, I thought so. Yeah, it was sort of a neo-western revival period that we'll talk about a little bit more as we go along we might still be in the middle of it who knows but before we discuss hell or high water let's remind our listeners to follow the show on twitter at greatest pod and subscribe to this podcast on apple podcasts podbean etc and if you are so inclined we would love to see a rating and review on apple podcasts if you would like a sticker, let us know on Twitter. We'd be happy to send one out to you. Matt's got one he's That's right. yeah. sitting on to send well, out. Yeah, I got to write that personalized note. You know? Yeah. Matt takes the time to write a note to everyone that's asked for one. So if you'd like that for free, let us know. <laughs> Less people interested now. <laughs> yeah. They were no, like, I kind of wanted a sticker, but I really don't want that personalized note. <laughs> yeah, no thanks. Follow us on Letterboxd as well. Zach1983 and Matt Crosby. So let's just get into it. Hell or High Water, directed by David McKenzie, written by Taylor Sheridan. We'll talk about the Sheridan works in a minute. But let's talk about David McKenzie first, which I found to be sort of an odd, eclectic filmography. After Hell or High Water, he worked with Chris Pine again for the Netflix film Outlaw King, which I did watch. That's right, yeah. But he also directed... The Ashton Kutcher film Spread. Wow, good for him. That is an underrated movie. <laughs> underrated? <laughs> he also directed another underrated movie with Ewan McGregor from 2003, which is sort of a weird, dark, NC-17 film called Young Adam. Oh, with Tilda Swinton. Yeah. And Emily Mortimer. Okay, yeah, I remember. Sort of a bleak movie yeah. that I actually enjoy a lot, even though it's very nihilistic. I'm glad we're doing this, because I briefly considered looking up David McKenzie, and then I just didn't. So this is it's getting me up to speed. The budget of Hell or High Water, $12 million. Box office, $37.9 million. So it was a modest hit. Yeah, well, you got to give it credit, because, I mean, it looks bigger than $12 million. Actually, the cinematography is quite good in this movie. Yes. It looks awesome. Some of the like action sequences of them driving really feel intense when they're like post robbing the banks and stuff. Particularly this like opening one. Yeah, I think it was actually mostly filmed in New Mexico and not Texas, but mm, yeah. Those wide open flat plains looks like incredible. Texas self referential humor in this movie. <laughs> Just like everyone owning guns and being insane. The film earned four Oscar nominations, including Best Picture, Best Supporting Actor for Bridges, Jeff Bridges, Best Original Screenplay, Best Film Editing, and it is the second installment of Sheridan's trilogy of, quote, the modern-day American frontier. Yeah. The first was Sicario in 2015, which was directed by Denis Villeneuve, and the third installment was Wind River, which Sheridan directed himself which came out in 2017. It's super weird that he's kind of like gone on to be this dude because I, I did know him as like an actor on Sons of Anarchy who just sort of like unceremoniously is killed by like getting run over by a car <laughs> after kind of being kind of seeming like 
a semi-important character for a little while, and then he just kind of like goes away. And then I, I remember watching this with you, and he has a cameo in the movie, and I recognized him. Yeah, he's like him. the cowboy guy. Yeah, and that's I I don't think I realized who he was when I saw Sicario. You know, this was when I like started to put it together, and I'm like, oh, this guy's like this whole other career now. Yeah, for preparation for this episode, I rewatched a lot of the movies, including the ones I just mentioned, and the sequel to Sicario, Day of the Soldado. That's right, yes. <laughs> and I actually like all of them, including Sicario 2. Yeah, I, I still haven't seen Wind River. I remember you... I uh, can't believe you haven't seen that. I know. It was one of those things where you told me how much you liked it, so I was like, I'm not watching it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think your life would be so much better if you just watched what I told you to If I would just watch. listen to you. No, it's on the list. <laughs> I don't know if it's streaming somewhere. I'll I'll take a well, look. Well, maybe that's gonna be my okay. All right, I'll brace myself. Little uh, oh, preview uh, of recommendations all right, coming all right. right now. Peter Berg was originally set to direct Teller High Water. He ends up being just a producer on it. He definitely seems like he fits into this world a little bit as well. Yeah, I think that worked out. I don't know, Pete Berg. He doesn't. I don't think he does grit that well. His movies always seem a little like uh, popcorny to me. Yeah, he's definitely strayed into the more polished stuff. But who would have thought Mackenzie would be this guy? Well, that's true. That yeah, I don't know. He, Yeah, who he knows? does hit it. I guess the genre that you described, it, it feels like No Country for Old Men would slide into that. Well, it's funny you should mention it. So we're going to talk a little bit about this being a neo-Western and how does that compare to, say, a revisionist Western, which we talked about oh, yeah. way back when we talked about McCabe and Mrs. Miller way back when. So... A neo-Western uses contemporary U.S. settings and Old West motifs and themes like rebellious anti-hero, open plains, desert landscapes, gunfights, etc. Feelings of displacement. No Country for Old Men would be a great example of a modern one. It sort of set off a renaissance of those types of films. Oh, yeah. Sheridan's films... The ones I've mentioned so far are basically a template for this genre. And there are three identifying themes, and you can maybe think about Hell or High Water and how this fits in. First is the lack of rules, with morals guided by the characters or the audience's instincts of right and wrong, rather than by governance. So right away, oh yeah, the film is asking you, to be emotionally connected to guys robbing banks. That's right. And they're and your heroes of the film, yes, essentially. Root for them. The second is characters searching for justice. Yeah. A big part of this movie, which we'll talk about as we go through it, is how the banks That's right. are the villains of the film and Capitalist America. Yeah, how the there's like a downtrodden element to this area of the country. And you see it almost right away with like the signs and billboards, yep. places closing, debt relief signs, things like all over the place. People really sort of underwater when it comes to their mortgages and different things like that. The idea being, here's a couple of brothers who are going to fight against that. The third theme, characters feeling remorse, connects the neo-Western film to the broader Western genre reinforcing a universal theme that consequences come with actions. Oh, yeah. That would probably be more in the Toby character yeah, than the Tanner say, character. Yeah, not the Ben Foster role. <laughs> now, there is crossover with the revisionist Western, 
But Revisionist Western, if you'll remember when we did McCabe and Mrs. Miller, is more about encouraging the audience to question the simple hero versus villain dualism and the morality of using violence to test one's character or to prove oneself right. And there is the crossover because depictions of Native Americans are more positive, which I think fits in with the neo-Western as well, and also women in more important or powerful roles, which you don't really see in Hell or High Water, but in Wind River, for example, I would say you see it. So, okay. And Sicario. So Definitely, yeah. I think there's some crossover with the neo-Westerns there as well. It's just sort of a different approach to the Western ideas, whereas the neo-Western is sort of taking those and putting them into a modern setting the revisionist Western is more or less questioning those ideas at like a very basic level. Sure. Hell or High Water stars Jeff Bridges, Chris Pine, Ben Foster, Gil Birmingham. And a big part of it focuses on frontier justice, which is what we were talking about. And that's sort of the motivation of the film. Yeah. You do get wrapped up into this thing because it like the, the bank is certainly like such the villain. Yes. I do think this is a great movie for how well they wrap you up into this rooting for these brothers, but then you're definitely also like rooting for Jeff Bridges and his partner as well. I think you do. Yeah. It tells both sides of the story pretty well. Yeah. It makes you emotionally invested in everything, which is sort of a unique feat. Probably why it brought a lot of acclaim and was so well regarded. Right. Because you could do a simple heist movie and portray the police as either the heroes or the bumbling idiots yeah, that yeah. you don't like. They choose to present both sides and let the audience connect with everyone and understand everyone's motivations. Yeah, and, and we'll get to the ending, obviously. But I actually, I had kind of forgot how tense it is at the end of this movie. Yeah. Like, I didn't remember the way that these two end up leaving it with each other. That was kind of a surprise to me watching it this time. I, I yeah, just like, kind of uh, forgot it. It's unresolved. Like right. There's more to come, yeah, yeah. maybe. I think a big part of it is asking the audience to set aside what they understand about law and what's right and wrong and just sort of ask yourself, what's more important? What's morally right versus legally right? Which I think is the power of storytelling and the power of films because you can also yeah. you can do anything in theoretical obviously in the film the two brothers end up killing a right. few people now it is just the one but obviously when you're involved in a robbery where someone gets killed you're both getting charged no matter what so and it is weird how they play that too cuz it's like I, I would think more often when you see a movie like this where you're like going up against a line and then you cross that line, you feel like, okay, they've now crossed this line, and I don't know that I can really root for these guys anymore. But it doesn't really feel that way in this movie, and I do think it's part of that brother dynamic just because one feels more inherently good and one feels not so good throughout. And Yeah, I think that's why they have the separation as to who does what Yeah, in order to, to keep things clean at the end. But it also is legitimate to, to question does the ends justify the means because we know the motivation yeah. for why they commit these robberies and what they're doing, what the plan is. We understand it. It seems noble in the sense that Toby is doing this exclusively for his kids. It doesn't seem like he's really planning on benefiting from it directly that much. 
he's fine with the idea of going to jail even, right. which is why they set up the whole trust thing. But regardless of what you think about that, <laughs> does it justify the loss of life that's involved? Absolutely. Yeah. And even though he seems against it and he's upset about it, does Hamilton, the Jeff Bridges character, does he have a point? Like, you're just as guilty. You set this thing in Absolutely. motion. Absolutely, yeah. He's reminding us, the audience, of that. You've rooted for this guy. He won. You know, he got what he set out to do. But these people are dead. And really, he's the one that put all of those wheels in motion. Yeah, it's a gray area, much like a lot of the two Sicario films deal in gray oh, areas absolutely. as well. Which is not how wind river is really (laughs) i'm not gonna spoil it since i i'm actually shocked you haven't seen it i won't spoil it directly but there is a much more clear-cut right and wrong it's not really gray area at all it's more of a mystery in a sense where you're trying to put things together people seeing my letterbox by the time this episode is posted like wind river five star and a heart from me well <laughs> as like a little treat for you i'll say you see elizabeth olsen's butt in a thong for all a right. second all so right there's that at Let's, least i'll tell you what it's, it's already getting the heart from me on letterbox <laughs> there's actually like a little joke about that little moment in the movie anyway before we jump into hell or high water i don't think we'll save it to well you know what? Let's save it towards the end since I've already sort of tipped my hand with the recommendations. I'll run through my my overall feelings on the whole Sheridan universe when we get there for recommendations. We'll just we'll do this movie now and then Okay. We'll talk a little bit more about the other ones at That'll the end. That'll work. A big part of Hell or High Water is a vibe, is a feeling, and you get like a very overwhelming sense of melancholy and depression. A lot of the areas in Texas that exist within the film are run down downtrodden yeah. areas it feels abandoned no jobs no hope no future the no t- nothing a town that time forgot yeah the film opens on a bank robbery just as the bank is opening yeah they the- lead the teller in it's actually the i think her name's i want to say dale dickey that's right from winter's bone that's and a right. million other things yeah, yeah. <laughs> always sort of playing a, a similar character a kind of a spunky woman. You get the feeling, based on what's happening, it's not very hard to tell that both of these robbers are new at this. Yeah. They even sort of say that. I think she jokes, or not jokes, but says that at them. Yeah, well, some of it feels reminiscent of Place Beyond the Pines. Yes, it's just sort of a smash and grab in the sense, like, not a whole lot of planning. Just yeah, go in, do it, get out. You get that sense throughout the film, too, where they're almost like, well, let's just do this one instead. There's not right, like right. a whole lot yes. of like meticulous. Changing on the fly. This is Although Tanner definitely brings that element to the group. Toby would like to stick to the plan more, I would yeah, say. Yeah, this isn't like Thief, the Michael Mann movie, or like Rafifi oh, yeah. or something like that. Some like grand heist that's like meticulously he- planned. Let's just pick this bank instead right yeah, now. Right. They're wearing black ski masks. They basically just hop in their car and make a quick getaway. This is all sort of over the opening credits, and this is where you see a lot of the signs in the areas. Closing down, debt relief, various billboards, etc. And you can't help but think of Bonnie and Clyde in the sense that that's happening during the Great Depression. That's right. The banks are the enemies. They're going to rob these banks. There's just like no cash on hand. (laughs) Well, they do go to a bank that's closed, oh, and yeah. they didn't know it was closed. That's right. 
they actually double up and hit us have a second early morning robbery so right off the bat you have two and this bank has one customer it's an old man with a gun that's right almost like a, a sam elliott type guy just hanging out at the bank talking to the teller he's got all those coins yeah that he found in the barn <laughs> Big day. But yeah, I mean, if you pay attention to what they're saying, it's everywhere. It's what right. he's saying. It's the signs. It's everything. He's basically like, I'm living on an inmate's diet, and I'm sitting on all these coins. <laughs> a fortune. <laughs> well, who? it could be like a few thousand bucks. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. It's hard right. to tell. And she's like, some of these might be collector's items. <laughs> <laughs> but that leads to the inexperience and the naivete, especially of the Toby character, where he takes the man's gun, but then he just puts it on the counter, and then that guy's shooting at them as they're trying to get away. Right, right. And Tanner's like, what the fuck? Yeah. What is this, amateur hour? An obsession of Tanner's is being Comanches or Lord of the Plains, which is something he'll bring up and talk about a lot. I think the original yeah, title like of the mantra. script was like Comanche Rhea or something. I don't know what. It was okay. some word like that. I didn't quite know how to pronounce it. I think uh, Hell or High Water is like more marketable. Yeah, I would agree with that. Although Sicario is a Spanish word. That's true. I don't know. Sicario really got you with those trailers, though. Especially the sequel. Oh, yeah. The trailers for that sequel were, like, unbelievable. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to read a little section from Wikipedia to help us summarize this opening and get our bearings. It's Mostly I'm doing this because the information comes out in drips and drabs over probably the first two-thirds of the movie where you're just sort of getting a piece here and there to understand what all the motivations are. But I think it's better to just summarize, and then you know we'll hit the action as it comes. In West Texas, divorced father Toby Howard, played by Chris Pine, and his ex-con older brother Tanner, played by Ben Foster, carry out early morning robberies of two branches of the Texas Midlands Bank. Though the robberies are well-planned, Tanner's wild nature leads him to take unnecessary risks, frustrating Toby. I would also add myself part of the reason (laughs) that there are some frustrations here, inexperience, and also Toby's overall reluctance. It's not that he wants to do this. I'd also add that myself, like, Tanner's also frustrating me by taking these actions. (laughs) Back on the family ranch, they bury their getaway car in a pit with a backhoe which that part looks awesome and it's kind of like the new part to the heist gimmick this is the unexpected part that they bury the car yeah i think a subtle storyline throughout the film is that there are people willing to help them that's actually cool yeah like that people with careers because it it seems like everyone understands that what happened to their family ranch and their mother is not fair. Yeah. The bank is sort of seen as like the general enemy to everyone. Well, it feels like there's this uh, West Texas general camaraderie around sticking it to the man. Honestly, it's not unlike the stuff we talked about with Bonnie and Clyde where everyone was for them and then, you know, a couple of people that shouldn't have got killed got killed and then all of a sudden people turn on them. And I think the incident in the last robbery probably changed people's minds. That's true. About what was happening. But yeah, they have a used car salesman willing to hook them up. That's right. And then guy, report it stolen later. Yep. And then they have the lawyer guy, right. obviously, who knows what's going on. Their mother has died after a long illness, leaving their ranch in debt because of a reverse mortgage provided by, you guessed it, the Texas Midlands Bank, <laughs> who they're stealing from. That's right. If the debt is not paid off in a few days, the ranch will be foreclosed, 
complicating things is that oil has been discovered on their land. That's something you don't really understand until deep into the movie. Right. And Toby is determined to ensure a comfortable life for his estranged sons. So essentially they're paying the bank off with their own money. That's right, which is a fun piece of it. But it's almost like they had to add the oil element for the Toby character to give him that like added motivation. Oh, I'm setting this future up for my kids. Because if it was just about losing the, the ranch... Yeah, that I think you're supposed to believe home. that his character wouldn't do it. Right. Without, <laughs> because yeah, yeah. it wouldn't be worth it. Yeah. And it's also the thing that sort of leads the investigators after the fact to sort of dismiss him as a suspect because they don't understand Why the specifics as yeah, to right. what was going on because of basically putting everything in a trust. And then they're like, well, they make more money off this. They didn't realize the timeline. Yeah, although it Which is sort like of an it, unanswerable question yeah. is to like, couldn't they figure some of that stuff out? But they sort of try to explain everything yeah. away. They point out that the feds wouldn't get involved in the case because the dollar amount is like so low that they're like robbing yeah. at a time. Yeah, well, the, the FBI, their jurisdiction would be hard to really justify since, as they point out, they don't have any branches outside of Texas, so it's not across state lines or anything. And the robbery is like... <laughs> Not a lot. Yeah, right. They're all just taking loose cash. The burying of the cars is sort of a unique wrinkle, as you pointed out. And I love whenever you see a bank robbery or heist thing, and then there's some new way, and you're like, this is genius. Yes, it is the same thing in Place Beyond the Pines where they 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 use the the moving truck, truck and he rides the motorcycle into the truck. Yeah, because I had that same feeling this time around when they have like the hole dug and they just drive drive the car into into it it and start burying it with the crane which works out for the plan but you are just like i mean how much is that machine i mean it seems like they could have sold that for like half the money for the ranch (laughs) that might have been a rental that's true yeah (laughs) there's some hints at a somber dark past there's a a strained familial relationship even between the brothers but also what was going on with the mother it seems like definitely Tanner, Tanner and the mother didn't get along because there was an abusive father who Tanner then killed <laughs> in a barn. Yeah, that's an intense relationship. Tanner like wasn't even around knowing she was sick, wasn't around for like when she passed away, right? I think. Yeah, because at first you're like, well, he was in prison, but then they say that he's been out for like a year. Right. And he just that was not around. Yeah. And it's unclear like how much time the two of them were spending together. I mean, it seems like Toby like basically lured him back with this plan yeah two texas rangers marcus hamilton played by bridges and alberto parker played by birmingham are on the case these two have an amazing dynamic all the scenes that they're in together are fun as we pointed out since the texas midlands branch has no branches outside of texas and the howard brothers are sticking to the drawers and not taking more than a couple thousand the fbi is not interested so these are going to be the guys that are pursuing them. Hamilton and Parker's relationship is sort of like an old married couple, except with a smattering of, I would say, lighthearted racism. For sure. For sure. <laughs> That's definitely present. A lot of Indian jokes, Native American jokes. That's like a big part of Hamilton's thing. You get the sense, though, that it's very good-natured Absolutely. and friendly and funny. They both act annoyed with each other right well obviously 
Hamilton's wife has passed away, and it almost feels like this friendship has kind of filled that bond for him. Yeah. After that. Yeah. You have to read into a lot of the dialogue and stuff that they talk about, even if it's just like a sentence or two. Jeff Bridges doing a Vito Corleone jaw underbite thing in this movie that's yeah. sort of insane. I know. <laughs> His characters... He does seem like he's hamming it up a little bit. Post-Crazy Heart, like his characters, it's just a you do, I, who's who of who you can't understand. I know, because <laughs> he does seem similar to his fucking character from True Grit, although that character was just like incoherent. That was like Rooster Cogburn or yeah, something? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would say Hamilton's a little bit easier to understand than that, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> it's a wild thing with this like whole... I don't know. Like I said, Underbite it, it kind of feels on. like he's hamming it up, but you also buy the character too. Like it doesn't feel my word silly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was nominated for uh, an Oscar for it. Hamilton's on the brink of retirement, and he seems to be relishing his one last chance at some action. He's a smart detective, intuitive, using educated guesswork. Almost immediately, he has an idea about the bank robbers, their personalities and tendencies, a rough sketch yeah. of what their plan might be. But there's no functional video equipment at the two Texas Midlands banks. Seems nuts. Although he, I mean, they're like pointing that out. <laughs> you can get this equipment like anywhere. It's obviously a hindrance in the investigation, but I'm not entirely sure how much it actually factors into anything. That's true. Overall, because... Shortly, we're going to have Tanner rob another bank on his own where there is video equipment. You never see the video. And then once they review the video, they don't ever really mention it. So They're I not able to use it made. for anything. They're like, oh, the video shows a guy in a mask. You boys know how rich they're going to be? They don't know anything yet. You take them to the funeral? Like I said, they don't know anything. When's the last time you saw them? We all went to the rodeo in Stanford right after you got out. That was a year ago. I talked to him on the phone. You talked to him on the phone? You want a little advice? No, no, I don't. Go see him tomorrow. You got any idea how much I owe Debbie and child support? You got enough in your front pocket to fix that problem right now. You can't spare it, you know that. Maybe we should hit another branch. You know, you talk like we ain't gonna get away with this. I've never met nobody who got away with anything, ever. You. Why in the hell did you agree to do it? Because you asked, little brother. I got a shit like an old goat. Grab the check, meet me out front. Well, if that isn't a hint, I don't know what is. Like your steak? Yes, ma'am. Well, you got a ways to go yet. Yeah, you'd be waiting around all day for me to finish this. 
Well, they hear whether you finish it or not, so you take your time. Sure is quiet in here. Open the drawer. Fives, tens, twenties. I found them out like a deck of cards. What do you do? Last job was for a natural gas company. Sounds high dollar. No, there ain't nothing high dollar about drilling. No one seems to be drilling for gas now anyway. They're sure drilling for oil. I mean, ain't one drill the same as the next? That's my take on it. <laughs> Guess I gotta get someone else to believe me. We could use a cook. Just a Brothers have sort of a regroup meal at a diner, and during this scenario, as I said, Tanner decides to go off and rob a neighboring bank next door, which is not a Texas Midlands bank. And it seems driven by two things. One, Tanner's just crazy and has to like throw a wrench in everything all the time. But I did think that it's also kind of driven by, oh, there's a plan to rob these banks just to get the money to stop the farm from going into foreclosure, but also... Toby has this whole thing where he's behind on child support. Yeah. And they talk about that. And it almost feels like Tanner's doing this thing where it's like, well, here's a little something for you to take care of that. Or yeah, whatever. he is. that is what he's doing. Yeah. Because he says to Toby, you have enough for the back child support payments in your front pocket. And he's like, you know, we can't afford it because they're on this tight plan right, right. to get a certain amount of money. And then he's like, well, I got to go take a shit. <laughs> and then next thing you know, he's running the next door to rob this bank. While Toby unknowingly remains at the diner conversing with their waitress, played by Katie Mixon. From uh, Eastbound and Down fame. Yeah, and Mike and Molly. What was her nickname on Eastbound and Down? April Cannons Buchanan or something? (laughs) Big Cannons Buchanan. (laughs) Definitely flirtatious. Oh, yeah. It is kind of insane. I do feel like Chris Pine seems like like just too good looking for... (laughs) Yeah. Don't you feel like he could just walk into any bank and the tellers, male or female, would be like, here, have all the money? (laughs) You're just like the best looking man. (laughs) Toby leaves a wad of cash for her tip. Meanwhile, during that robbery next door, the bank teller looks 13 years old. I know. She looks so young. 
And then when Tanner comes running out when they're getting in the car, money blowing everywhere during the getaway. <laughs> but also, it's sort of a bold move for the obvious reasons, first of all. But the second would be because how does he even know that him running out of the bank is going to sync up with Toby leaving the diner? Well, what if he, Toby was still sitting in there talking to Katie Mix? Which could have happened. I think he was trying to set it up because he's like, I got to go take a shit. But he's also like, pay the bill and I'll meet you at the car. So I feel like he was trying to get him moving. Yeah, but... You don't know. Yeah, yeah you, if, you don't if, know. I mean, he's a wild card. <laughs> Definitely a big gamble in yeah. terms of the timing there. This leads to a hilarious but very real scene later when Hamilton tries to take the $200 from... I want I can't remember what her character's name yeah. is for evidence, the waitress. But it is pretty hilarious. Because there's also a table of bemused old-timers who honestly seem only half interested in helping the rangers by providing descriptions or information they're just sort of entertaining themselves again not explicitly but implicitly supporting what they're doing and then at the end of the movie it seems explicit based off of what that other detective or whoever that other ranger tells hamilton after he's retired that's right yeah they're just sort of laughing about it like yeah i saw it but yeah i don't know right and she's like, well, you better come back with a warrant to get this $200. It's like Roadhouse. They're all it's like, I didn't see anything. Did you see anything? <laughs> Credits. <laughs> Freeze frame. <laughs> Some of the more important little moments happen between Hamilton and Parker while they're just driving in their truck. It's reckless is what it is. It's tweakers, I'm telling you. I don't think these boys are just reckless. Damn sure it's tweakers. They know exactly what they're doing. I don't know how you're going to survive without somebody to outsmart. You need a hobby. A quick. How about a horse? Mary Beth was the rider. A horse only remind me of her. You like to fish? Not enough to do it every goddamn day. Yeah, when I retire, I'm gonna move as May and me down to Galveston. Buy a fishing boat. I'll live on that son of a bitch right at the pier. Oh, who knows? Maybe one of these bank robbers is gonna want a gunfight and I can dodge my retirement in a blaze of glory. Well, I've seen you shoot. Won't be much glory in it. Oh, <laughs> uh, well. I'm lucky I got a half-breed by my side to avenge me. If you can stay sober long enough, knowing how you engines like the bottle. Done you burning this field? Why in the shit would we do that? This kicked up on the highway. Been chasing us ever since. Wish we could do something for you. Ought to just let it turn me to ashes, put me out of my misery. Cut that fence! 21st century, I'm racing a fire of the river with a herd of cattle. And I wonder why my kids won't do this shit for a living. Gonna burn out when I teach the browsers. Find a call around here anyway. Oh, these boys is on their own. 
there's actually a strange reverse foreshadowing conversation that the two of them have where Hamilton, which is Jeff Bridges' character, is talking about like, well, maybe, you know, I won't retire. Maybe one of these guys will want to get into a shootout and I'll get killed and then you can come avenge my death and all this stuff. And it's sort of crazy because of what happens at the end of the movie. It's all like in reverse. That's right. And then also the Cowboys leading the herd away from a wildfire and how no one wants to do this shit anymore. And that's, I think, Sheridan's cameo. That is, yes. Alberto's like, you should call for help. And he's like, well, there's no one to call. And Hamilton's basically like, these boys are on their own. That's right. And it is sort of working as like a metaphor for not only the two bank robbers, but for people in general. Oh, yeah. There's no one to call. We're all there on our own. There is no help coming. The wildfire, you have to deal with it yourself. It's either going to burn out or it'll hit the river. Definite no country for old men vibes. Absolutely. The whole conversation about... Yeah. In that movie, it's very specifically about like old timers being like pushed out, but... In this movie, it's more about everyone feeling displaced That's and right. not belonging to a society anymore. It's hard not to feel like the Jeff Bridges character isn't reminiscent of the Tommy Lee Jones character. A little bit, yeah. You know, it, it feels like there's some similarities. Tanner's erratic, wild outlaw behavior threatens the whole operation. He clearly has different motivations for doing what they're doing and also different approach from his brother. This leads to an incident at a gas station with some headbanger dudes in a green car that Toby has to sort of get involved and like beat the shit out of that dude. Yeah, like out of nowhere. It's actually a really cool scene because the guy is just like egging Tanner on and you're like so focused on that. And then Toby comes from like off screen, beats the shit out of the dude, you know, like flies (laughs) into the frame, just starts hitting the dude. And then he like goes after the other dude in the passenger seat. The guy's like, he was out of line. He was out of line. You want anything? Dr. Pepper, Winston Lights. It's okay. Come on. What? What, bitch? You looking for trouble, motherfucker? Get in the right place. Boy, you'd think they were tending me. Oh, yeah? Not so fucking tough now, are you, bitch? Mr. Pip. That's all I have. Only assholes drink Mr. Pip. Drink up. 
it hints at a deeper rage that you don't really see as much in his character because Tanner like wears the rage on his sleeve. Oh yeah. And he embraces it where Toby, it seems like deeper down. Well, there's a dark past there. <laughs> yeah. Clearly him and Debbie got divorced That's for right. some reason. Yeah. Yeah. Because it doesn't seem like, you know, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Folks, people getting divorced. <laughs> The brothers take the stolen money to an Indian casino in Oklahoma to be laundered. A couple of weird things happen here, including Tanner getting into a confrontation with a Native American who is a Comanche. Well, it's just nonstop confrontations for him. And That's he's his like, whole life. What does that mean? He's like, you know what that means? And he means enemies with everyone. And he's like, and Tanner's like, you know what that makes me? And that guy's like, everyone. No, and, enemy, I thought. Or an enemy. And he's like, no. A Comanche. That's right. Yeah. And the guy's like, respect. <laughs> He's like, all right, I was going to kill you, but that was kind of badass. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Check. Don't chase me, chief. You Comanche? Lords of the Plains? Lords of nothing now. I call. Show your cards, gentlemen. Comanche means it means enemies forever enemies with who everyone you know what that makes me an enemy no it makes me a Comanche and then there's a prostitute making a move on Toby because he's got those chips that's all right. the money and is Toby falling for this a little bit I can't really tell I or is he seeing through it? I I don't know. Obviously, Tanner. I don't know. Sees I don't think it. either. Okay. I think he knows what she is, and he doesn't care. He's just he, going along. with he it. He was yeah. like kind of going for it. It's been a while. And you then know, Tanner like, makes a well. huge scene. Oh yeah, basically like assaults her. Right. I felt like he was out of line. <laughs> oh, you think? Yeah, I, I I would agree. Yeah, and Toby's like, I don't know how you stayed out of jail for a year. Yeah, and Tanner's like, it's been difficult. <laughs> It's sort of a dark little moment, though, because it's a little over the line. <laughs> I'd say so, yeah. Toby has the casino convert their quote-unquote gambling winnings into a check made out to the Texas Midlands Bank with untraceable funds and gambling as a cover for how they were acquired. The brothers eventually head back to Texas, but not before a couple of dueling hotel-slash-motel nights because... Hamilton and Parker are also staying in a motel. I always think in my head, because I watched this a couple times for the oh, podcast, yeah. and I've seen it a couple times prior, that their motel is like across the street from the casino, but that doesn't make any sense, and okay. it's not. But yeah, yeah, I don't know, mentally, because of the way it's cut, it goes from like one thing to another thing, and you're like, okay, they must be just like across the street or something, even though, like, why would they know they're at the casino? There is that, like, odd scene where it's... Hamilton like wakes up, no shirt, throws that blanket yeah, on, and, like walks outside. outside. 
It seems like he's walking across the street, but then later he's just sitting outside of the motel. So I, I don't know. know where he was going. Right, right. But I totally would love this to like be my job. <laughs> You're just like, we're, we're following a lead, yeah. which is really not a lead. It's a hunch. Yeah, we're and, just going to stay at a motel. Yeah, we're going to head to this town, go to this same like restaurant that just sells steak <laughs> or whatever for like days on end, and then go back to the hotel. Tanner hooks up with a desk clerk, which it would be completely fine and normal if the brothers weren't sharing a bedroom. Oh, I know. So you referenced like a Fargo joke <laughs> right. recently, yeah. and this was like that, exactly, except only one of them doing it. I know, just horrible. <laughs> you would think Toby would be like uh, like a Dr. Chalice, though, like for real, and be like, I'm going to go sleep in the car, because this is insane. This is horrifying. Yeah, what does Tanner say? He's like, look at those titties. Oh, yeah. Are you kidding me? <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> yeah. This is like a kamikaze mission for him. Like, he knows this is ending. Yeah. One, and he, I mean, he even puts it out there. Because Toby's always looking at it like, we have a mission. We're going to get through this. Even if it puts me in jail, we're going to accomplish what we're setting out to accomplish. But Tanner's just always like, we're going to get caught or, or killed. But he's like, you know, I'm doing this because you're my brother and you asked me to, which you see the difference between the two characters and their motivations. Toby's setting up an untouchable trust for his boys. They need $43,000 to be free and clear to account for the rest of the mortgage and the back taxes that were paid by the bank. And the lawyer tells them, come hell or high water, be at the bank before close on Thursday because they will foreclose on the ranch on Friday and he recommends getting Texas Midlands to handle the trust to cover the tracks, and oh, yeah. they seem to like that idea. Meanwhile, Hamilton and Parker go to the famous T-Bone Cafe, where we have a waitress played by <laughs> a character actress who passed away a couple years ago named Margaret Bowman, pretty, who was uh, also in No Country for Old Men. Yeah, pretty memorable scene, I'd say, at this restaurant. What don't you want? Yeah. <laughs> So, what's the plan? We're gonna watch that bank like a deer feeder. In time, we'll be right. Now, let's see what they got to eat here. Howdy, ma'am, how you doing today? Hot, and I don't mean the good kind. So what don't you want? Pardon? What don't you want? Oh, well, uh... I think I'll just, uh... You know, I've been working here for 44 years. Ain't nobody ever ordered nothing but T-bone steak and a baked potato. Except this one asshole from New York tried to order trout back in 1987. We don't sell no goddamn trout. T-bone steaks. So either you don't want the corn on the cob or you don't want the green beans. So what don't you want? I don't want green beans. I don't want green beans either. Steaks cooked medium rare. Can I get my steak cooked that just a little? That no question. All right. Iced tea for you boys. Iced tea be great. Iced tea, yeah, thank you, ma'am. Uh-huh. Well, I'll tell you one thing. Nobody's gonna rob this son of a bitch. <laughs> My word. They refer to her as a rattlesnake for a waitress. 
She was in like a couple of other movies, like Waiting for Guffman. I actually picked her out of the hotspot recently. Oh, good for you, in man. In a recent rewatch. Yeah. She must have been like a Texas, although they filmed this in New Mexico, but you know, like a Southern Midwestern actress who appeared in those kind of things. <laughs> yeah. Just a memorable, hilarious little moment in this movie. Totally. <laughs> They're making jokes like, oh, I'll tell you one thing. Nobody's robbing this place. (laughs) (laughs) Toby goes to see his ex-wife, Debbie, and the boys. He pays the child support in cash, which for some reason is not suspicious. I know, really. Or to anyone, I guess. He informs them of the trust. How does this count as a payment, though? It's like when I'm envisioning child support like this is done through a system. That's not just like a straight payment to... Well, she would probably have to report that she doesn't get it or something. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know. We see the familiar familial strains. He clearly does not have much of a relationship with his sons. We don't really know the backstory. They're incredibly poor. He's incredibly poor. But he tells them you're not going to have to worry about money in the future. He also recommends not doing things the way that he did them. Without yeah. coming out and saying, I robbed these banks, he's like, you're going to yeah, hear right. some stuff. Yes, alluding to what he envisions coming down the road. And son's like, well, I won't believe it. And he's like, no, believe it, because it's going to be true, but don't be like me. Hamilton and Parker continue to stake out another branch of the Texas Midlands Bank to no avail. It's another defeated dead man's town. Eventually, Hamilton figures a pattern to the bank robberies and determines the next target, the two Texas Rangers are actually en route when the final robbery Although occurs. it wasn't really the target. This is another change on the fly, I think. No, no, he knew. Okay. Well, no, when they I, get the call. The brothers. They were headed to post. Okay, I, but I thought that the... The way they, they do in the movie is like he just gets there before they do. Like They don't realize it because they don't know that the Jayton branch or whatever it is is closed. Oh, okay, right. That's the one they go to. and Their plan is to hit two. Yes, yes. But they don't realize that Jayton's closed, and then that's what we're going to get there in a minute. But first, the branch they go to is unexpectedly shut down. You'd think maybe they would have known that. I don't know how they didn't. Because Hamilton and Parker knew, so it didn't take like a ton of research. Not a lot of smartphone looking going on in this movie. Tanner then determines that the second one they were planning on hitting won't be big enough. So they change it up and go to post. Right. Bigger bank, bigger score. And that's the one that Hamilton deduces they will go to. Yeah. But it wasn't part of the original plan, right? Of Post was not part of the two they were going to go to on that day. No. Until this. Yeah. No. He just gets there before they do. But they, because they don't know that that, they right. just don't know that that's what they're going to have to do. Yeah. Yeah. But it is like a decent guess because he doesn't really know what the total is that they're looking for. Yeah. Right. So theoretically, yeah, they could have gone to that other one that, Tanner decided it was too small. Yes. Because if they were looking for a smaller total, then that might have worked. But it was just a, a hunch. This time they take two cars instead of just one, and they leave one just outside of town. Again, this is off-plan, though, too. Like, Tanner just constantly... Well, I think you're supposed to read into it that he, he's not coming out of this. Tanner has the foresight, yeah, that he's going to have to be, like, the decoy or something. To That's give why he's Toby packing, time. like, those big guns and all That's that right. shit. Yep. He's like... I'm going to take all the heat off now, and you're going to make a clean getaway while I distract everyone. Yeah. I love at the beginning of this day when Tanner's, like, sleeping on the couch. 
Toby goes to like wake him up and he's just like <laughs> flipping out. It's like, man, that's like every time I wake up. From it a goes dream. on a little long. I, if that was like a real person, I'd be like, I, I, I'm not ever talking to you again. Because that's insane. Open your eyes. Right. Come on. You can freak out for a second. It went on for like 10 seconds. Yeah, well, it just it speaks <laughs> to the trauma. Yeah, Ben Foster, he's a very intense actor. I mostly like a lot of stuff that he's been in. I first probably remember being cognizant of his performances in Alpha Dog. Sure, which is also kind similar of similar to this. to this, yeah. He always is playing sort of an insane character. Right. I, I think he's known for the the remake of the was it 310 to Yuma? Yeah. I think he's kind of the crazy one in the group in Lone Survivor too. So that's like four military dudes and I think he's I've only seen part of that. Yeah. But I think of the group, he's kind of like the most That's his deal. Yeah. That's his thing. <laughs> right away, Post, which is the name of the town they're going to for this last score, is much busier. You can tell just when they're driving into it, there's actual restaurants and cars and right, right. gas stations. A, a civilization. Not only the town, though, but ultimately the local branch of the Texas Midlands Bank. Pressed for time, the brothers proceed with the heist though the bank ends up being filled with customers, which is sort of an unexpected moment. They barge in with their masks and guns, and there's a ton of people in different lines. No doubt. Yep. It seems like Tanner was just flat out wrong. Yeah. Because he was describing Post as a dead town, too, like anywhere else. Yeah, this clearly is not true. It's not just the characters. Like, they do a good job of framing this as they're out of their element. It's too big for them to keep the crowd they're very amateurish they don't really know what to do like they they can't control a room and they haven't had to deal with very many people yeah which was part of their plan or at least toby's plan it's a shit hits the fan situation a shootout ensues when a security guard and an armed civilian fire at them mid robbery a lot of point break vibes going on here actually yeah tanner kills both but Toby ends up wounded when they are ambushed by a waiting posse of armed townspeople outside the <laughs> bank. Just like the whole town is shooting at us. So I had some questions here. I wasn't sure what we're supposed to make of the armed posse outside the bank. You do see someone on the floor of the bank texting that we're being robbed. Right. Could there possibly be enough time for that text to lead to all of those people waiting outside. It seems improbable to I think me. people just hear gunshots and they're like, something's up. Well, that's one of the we're other choices. And, yeah. Were these just people that were already there and they hear the gunshots? Or was it people staking out this branch? I didn't think about the third one, but that is possible too because people would be getting like wrapped up in right. this. Right. When I worked at a chain of stores, one store, but it was a chain, yep. and there was a robbery in the area at a different one, everyone was like alerted and, and knew about it, so it was like the possibility of it happening. Oh, yeah. You know, that kind of a thing. I would imagine that a hundred times over for banks. That's right. Hey, two of our branches have been hit. Everyone's on high alert, that kind of a thing. I don't know. It's never really explained. I, think I guess there's enough options for it to be one of those. Yeah, yeah. But it's weird that they show that girl texting on the floor. They like right. zoom in so you can read her text. It's very odd. Well, I think to it's just show a- that. adding to like all the options now. It's just like the heat is on. Yeah. The brothers race out of town with the local vigilantes in pursuit. After gaining some distance, Tanner stops and fires an automatic rifle that it's he's brought. Pretty badass because it's so casual about it. <laughs> They're trying to be elusive, trying to get away in this chasing, and then he's just like, all right, I'm just going to pull over. 
and then pops the trunk. Yeah, that's right. Pulls out this machine gun or whatever it is and gets rid of those townspeople pretty quick. I'll tell you that. Tanner then drops Toby off at the other car. The brothers split. Toby takes the money to the casino while Tanner drives off to create a diversion. It's never really addressed in the film, but it seems like this was his plan all along. He heads back towards the chase and then turns off-roading, goes into this desert mountain ridge, ends up using the truck itself as an explosive weapon to buy some time, which is pretty creative. Yeah. (laughs) Pretty nice on-the-fly work, too. He's, like, driving up the hill, (laughs) like, lighting this fucking (laughs) gas tank or whatever, and then rolls the truck back, back at the police. Using a hunting rifle and the terrain, Tanner takes... Shots at the assembled law enforcement down below. And in a shocking moment, once Hamilton and Parker arrive, he kills Parker. Yeah, and it's way earlier in the scene. That's why it's a shock, because they're like still kind of getting set up and like talking. And then he's just like... It's in the middle of Hamilton making a a Native American joke. He's like, why don't you get a tomahawk and run up there or something? And then all of a sudden he's dead. It's wild. When you rewatch this movie close together and you're really thinking about everything and you're preparing a podcast and everything it does sort of have the i'm gonna live forever vibe (laughs) where you might as well just have parker announcing he's gonna live forever over and over (laughs) because there are so many things throughout this movie where you're just like man they are really hammering home a lot and foreshadowing like something bad could happen to him right right a lot of talk of death and a lot of it's reversed to make you think about Hamilton instead, but uh-huh. when you when you know what's going to happen, you're just like really fixated on certain bits of dialogue and certain things in the movie, and you're like, oh my god, they're yeah. like hitting you over the head with it. It's pretty awful because I mean, he just seems like such a good dude. How are you supposed to take this? Like he wasn't thinking and not putting himself in a very shielded position. Is he just distracted by Hamilton once again ripping on him? Well, it's just one of those things. It's a dangerous job. Yeah. Hamilton, despite all the teasing, has a visceral emotional reaction to this. He flags down one of the posse and uses his knowledge of the area to circle behind Tanner. I was actually sort of like annoyed at this. This seems like it would take a while. God, that'd be so annoying to be one of these Texas Rangers, dude. Then like here comes this like line of trucks. He's like trying to back them all up, but you have this guy up in the woods who's clearly like a good shot and everything or not in the woods, but up in the terrain there. And now you got to like worry that he's going to shoot these other people. And now you have a bunch of other people running around with guns and stuff. Yeah, I know. It just makes this chaotic situation like way worse. It is weird because Tanner obviously kills the one cop. I don't know that you actually see him kill many other guys though. Right. He's certainly shooting at him, but no, no, no. He only kills the two people at the bank and And Alberto. Right. Yeah. And then, eventually he dies and but he's very proud of himself before he dies well he's holding them off yeah okay that's fair i don't think he's proud about like the number of people he's i don't know if he would even know that's true yeah (laughs) tanner's fueled by rage he refers to himself as a comanche enemies with everyone is something we're reminded of hamilton eventually gets into a shooting position behind tanner just covered in sweat yeah just Oh, seeming like on the verge of a heart attack. Labored like, breathing. Trying to it scale was like this hill. In a mirror for me. <laughs> yes. Just so out of shape. <laughs> he fatally shoots Tanner with a rifle, and then we see a rattlesnake at 
Tanner's feet, which I thought was sort of a weird oh, yeah. little moment there. I'm like, well, so what are we supposed to read into? He would have been dead soon anyway. The snake, snake was going to bite him. I don't yeah. know. That's true. Toby learns of his brother's death watching the TV at a bar in the casino. Later, he takes the casino's check to the bank in time to avoid foreclosure on the ranch and then deeds the ranch into a family trust. I do enjoy the scene at the, the bank when the guy's like, all right, well, you know, we'll take care of it or whatever. And he's like, no, I want to watch you do it. And he's like, well, you know, we have to do what we do. And he's like, no, it takes it's, time. it's fine. I got all day. And then it's just like going to like a fax machine and it like, <laughs> takes like two seconds. Time moves on. Hamilton is retired but can't let it go. When he visits his old office, he learns that the Rangers have cleared Toby as a suspect. He has a clean record. He has no motive because of the oil. They can't really link him in any way to this. They think that it's it somebody that weird. Tanner spent time in prison with, an old cellmate who was a bank robber. That's who they're fixated on now. Right, which, okay. But this does make kind of the rest of the police force seem like the bumbling idiots, that they're not even considering Toby as a suspect here. Well, well, they did consider I think him, but they they're did, like, he, but... he checks out. Yeah. Well, there's only so much you can do. That's true. Which is why some crimes just are not solved. I mean, yeah, you have to be able to prove stuff, and they're sort of running into brick walls for various reasons. The money from the ranch's oil wells is deposited at the Texas Midlands Bank, which refuses to cooperate with the investigation for fear of losing management. That's true. Of the family's yeah. trust fund. So, I mean, it does point to the plan worked. That's the thing like that actually makes Tanner's part of it. I mean, obviously, to make a huge sacrifice, but it makes it make sense is when there's a scapegoat for the worst part of it, which is the people that died. That's right. A lot of people are just going to accept that and move on. That's They're true. Like, well, he killed yeah. these other people. Yes, there was probably another person involved. But we got people the bad saw him. Yeah, but we have somebody to pin the worst of it on, and we're moving on, assuming that it's somebody that we just haven't right. found yet. It doesn't matter. This other guy, he wasn't involved. He has no record. But there is one person who's not ready to move on. <laughs> yeah, it sets up a Hamilton versus Toby standoff, which is really like a mustache standoff because Chris <laughs> Pine is rocking like an insane oh, mustache yeah, at the end of this movie for some reason. But yeah, this was, again, I remember liking this movie the first time I watched it. I didn't remember this ending sticking with me as much. I did remember that the end scene was like the two of them talking but for some reason i had a memory of it ending more conclusively and not as much as oh shit there might be more to this story oh yeah hamilton knows but he wants to know why toby launches into this whole thing about i guess I didn't being get poor is like a disease and he doesn't want to spread it to his kids either that like it feels like hamilton would have been able to figure out what started this was the farm being in foreclosure and then I don't know enough about how that stuff works to really know. If that's like public knowledge, I don't know. Yeah, maybe not. Because that could be explained by what the other ranger tells Hamilton, where the bank is not really cooperating. Because the bank would be the only people who would say that. I guess maybe it doesn't become public record until after it. The bank might recognize that it's not in their best interest because of the way they set it up. They can't really prove that the casino winnings aren't legitimate. Right. That's how they paid the bank. Once everything's put into a trust, the reason why it's put into a trust is 
because the kids are unable to sell it, it doesn't really count as like something they own in the same way. Okay. So it can't be like taken from them or used to pay past creditors. So if the bank or whoever or who whatever it is goes after Toby, so let's say they decide he's guilty and he goes on trial. It's like once it's put into the trust, it doesn't really belong in like the traditional sense to the kids anymore because they can't sell it. So it's not the same thing as like if he just gave it to them. If he just gave it to them, then it would be like property that could be seized or that's the whole point of the trust. It's like they can never really sell it, but it also can't be taken away from them. You're not going to hear me poke holes in this. But what I'm saying is, so even if the bank suspects him, they might not see an end game worth pursuing right, because they'd yeah. rather just take that. They're past it. They get like whatever they get out of managing the trust, which I'm sure is like interest on whatever the deposits are for the oil or whatever. Sure. So they're fine with that because it's more than they would get out of pursuing him as like a suspect. Right. True. Because they're not going to be able to get the land back now anyway. Because there's no way to really yes. prove any of that. And they might be the only ones that knew that the house was about to go into foreclosure because it's not really public record at that point of the process. Maybe. And I don't know not, how that stuff works. I don't either, but they're not divulging it to the The only police. thing I could think of was, like, wouldn't there be, like, a casino video of him just bringing the cash in, sitting at a bar? I do and think then so. going back to... Yeah. I don't know how often they delete the videos there or whatever, but it seems that's a good like, point. It, it, it is... seems like he's just not even pretending to gamble. Like there's yeah. no way to like really disguise. Or they just I guess the police never really traced them back to being at this hotel. Although you, they stay at the hotel. Right? They're paying cash for everything. Well, yeah, but the check comes from there though. True. They pay the True. bank, but yeah. I don't know. I guess the bank would have to be like cooperative again. In this. That's right. Yeah. I don't know. It's one of those things where I don't really understand how a lot of that stuff works, so I just sort of have to take their word for it. I'm good with that. Yeah. (laughs) It turns into this tense little standoff where Toby knows that Hamilton knows and Hamilton knows that Toby knows that he knows and all that sort of thing. Toby doesn't want to take the blame for what his brother did, but Hamilton's not letting him off the hook, and then it, it almost turns into this... That's right. A gun incident, but then it's interrupted by the return of Debbie and the kids, and he's which like, is, this is their place. Yeah, which is kind of a funny angle to it, too, because you are thinking, okay, he's living you know, back on the farm, and things are looking good, but then you're like, oh, yeah, he is still divorced, and he points out, yeah, I don't live here. I just come and help out. Yeah, which catches Hamilton off guard because he clearly wasn't aware. But the thing is... Hamilton is retired. He was already told that Toby's not a suspect. If Toby, like, wanted a way out of this... I think they point this out, even. Well, he could have shot him. No, I'm uh, saying oh, he could have okay. called the police. Oh, I'm that's like, true. This guy's harassing right. me. Yeah, yeah. He's already been told he's not a suspect. It's not really his job to just show up at his house anymore. Absolutely not. And so, yeah, I mean, without killing him, yeah, he could have, in Texas or places like that, yeah, probably could have shot him as a trespasser, trespasser. and everything. Howdy. What's going on? Hogs are back in the garden. There are hogs tearing up this place something fierce. Who's this? I'm an old friend of your husband. Ex-husband. I'm just working on the house. Oh, you don't live here. No, it's not mine. 
Stairs. <laughs> the things we do for our kids, huh? <laughs> well, I'll just be going. Me too, Debbie. I'm gonna wash up. Be back around nine tomorrow. Finish at the front. Start painting the extension, then help Randy with his homework when he gets back from school. Okay. Hey, we're in a little house in town. If you want to stop by and finish this conversation, you're welcome anytime. Oh, I'd like that. I'll be seeing you. Yeah. Soon, I hope. Ready to be done with this. You'll never be done with it, no matter what. It's going to haunt you, son, for the rest of your days. But you won't be alone. It's going to haunt me, too. If you stop by, maybe I'll give you peace. Uh, maybe. Maybe I'll give it to you. The movie ends with them promising to finish the conversation in the future, and there's some implied threats of bringing peace to each other. Yeah, they're going to sh- shoot each other. Toby carrying around the guilt that Hamilton accuses him of having, and Hamilton carrying around the weight of his partner's death and sort of his inability to let this go. And that's sort of it. It just ends. Right. But there is definitely an anger there still, too, between the both of them. You oh, know? for sure. Yeah. You know, there's a, they both have vengeance on the mind, I would say. Yeah. It's sort of a somber ending to what you think is like a clean getaway yeah. because Toby's not busted at the end of the movie. He achieves his goal. The kids are not going to have to worry about money in the future. They're pulling like. 50,000 from each of those things. There's a couple of them. <laughs> those things, whatever those are, pump jacks or whatever. <laughs> yeah, right. That are just all of a sudden there. But yeah, it's just sort of like, well, it's not over though. Right. I just, I, I didn't have that memory that it kind of ended really, they're kind of like shit talking each other. In a way. Yeah, it's more of just like, we're going to meet down the line. And yeah, who yeah. knows what's going to happen. Right. Kind of a thing. I got a place in town if you want to meet me there. It's yeah. thrown out. Come get a taste, yeah, old man. Right. <laughs> what are you doing? What? What? Vincent stopped making picks. Well, how am I going to know what movies to see? We have a wide variety of Gene picks. Gene's trash. I'm Gene. So that leads me into recommendations, where my recommendation for this week is going to be Wind River, a movie that Sheridan also wrote. And he actually directed that one. Coming to my letterbox soon. Which you can find for free on the Roku channel and Pluto TV. Oh, no. But you can also do it as a streaming rental other places. Okay. So, I wanted to talk a little bit about the Sheridan filmography there. Brief. I haven't watched the new one on HBO Max with Angelina Jolie. Yeah. But up to Day of the Soldado, in terms of the theatrical releases i haven't watched yellowstone yet either although i plan on checking it out at some point but again this is mostly as a screenwriter right i mean he's only directed he directed the angelina jolie one and wind river okay yeah so two yeah he might have directed other stuff like yellowstone but i'm not really sure but anyway so i rewatched everything this week and i think my rankings would be different from most of the cinephile community. I think most of the movie dorks sort of have Sicario as the far and away best one. 
because it's directed by Villeneuve, who is the most talented Pretty director awesome. of the three. Yeah. And it is probably the best looking and best directed, but it's lacking something that Hell or High Water and Wind River have, which is an emotional connection. Definitely. I will say Sicario, it's hard to connect with the characters. There's a coldness to that film and Absolutely. a distance from the characters. You don't really care about them as much. I'm wondering if Emily Blunt's character in the first one is supposed to like be your entryway because she's a woman and you're supposed to just connect with her instinctively i don't know but you never really know a lot about her character right yeah she's rough around the edges though too like, like everyone in that movie is yeah everyone's sort of like a an archetype of a person you've seen in these type of things yeah for sure it's very well made it's very good but hell or high water and wind river have this very emotional connection i was like sobbing at the end of wind river oh, wow. again yeah <laughs> Although, it's like what, every... what movie doesn't yeah, know, that apply to at this point for you? But yeah, I think Wind River might be my favorite of the three. Okay. I would have Hell or High Water and Sicario like pretty close together. But yeah. Wind River, there's just something about maybe the mystery of it, how it unfolds. I really like it. It's a an aspect of this yeah. genre that you don't see a lot because it's cold and there's like snow. But... It focuses a lot on the Native American side of things, sort of the the bleak aspect on some of these Indian reservations. Mm, yeah. In very poor areas, so like similar to Hell or High Water. Gil Birmingham, who plays Alberto in Hell or High Water, is is in it Wind River. There's a lot of like overlap with these films and Sheridan projects. Yeah, is Josh Brolin in Wind River? No, it's Jeremy Renner. Oh, okay, yeah. Not necessarily like the main people, but some of the other people were in. There's some crossover with Sicario and different stuff like that. Different people pop up in different ones or whatever. I would recommend all of them just in the sense that there's not really a lot of other films like this out there now. Yeah. And even Day of the Soldado, which the trailer was awesome for, but it's a sequel, different director. It's not Villeneuve. It definitely feels less than the first Sicario. Well, my whole point, though, was that it's still great. I agree, yeah. Where you're like, the story seems crazy, but I sort of buy it. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. It well, came out at a weird time. That because... Benicio Del Toro character is just like so fun to watch. He's just like a badass. Yeah, I mean, spoiler alert for people who haven't seen Day of the Soldado, but when he... <laughs> At the end of the movie, when he's sh- just there and that kid oh, shows up and that kid was thought he killed him, right, he's just right. like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's just like unkillable. <laughs> At one point, Sicario would have been head and shoulders above Hell or High Water, but I'd only seen Hell or High Water once and I liked it. I, I will say, I I think this second viewing bumped it up for me from where I would have previously had it, and it, I do think that they're pretty close. Yeah, I think Wind River and Hell or High Water Part of the human connection is that they are much smaller in scale, whereas the two Sicarios seem like these massive undertakings. It's like this huge oh, idea right. going on. Although they do try to make Day of the Soldado, I think, have more of a human connection with that cartel leader's daughter Definitely. being like one of the main characters. And it's, uh, the, the other kid is also pretty young. I think that kind of makes it feel out of place, like that storyline, because of <laughs> you not having something like that in the first movie. It does feel like a totally different movie, but still kind of the same. There were rumors of a third 
Sicario bringing back Emily Blunt's character, who's not in the second right. one. But I don't know. Who knows where that is yeah, at yeah. this point. But anyway, so let's do your recommendation now. Okay. Just watched before I came over here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Something I had never seen. The original The Italian Job with Michael Caine. Streaming okay. on Paramount Plus. Oh, wow. Yes. Back-to-back Paramount Plus recommendations. As we were both talking about needing to cancel that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not like a great movie, but it, I'd only ever seen the American, ver- not the American, but the, the remake. Yeah, the remake. And wasn't in love with it. I don't love all car chase sequences or whatever, but this it's it's definitely like way like more trashy. And Michael Caine is so fun to watch. And, and, and if anything, the fucking... You were only supposed to blow the bloody door off. <laughs> it's yeah. just so good. It's such a fun watch. And I am just like so hooked on late 60s, early 70s movies. I think this was 1969. It's such a great time for fun crime movies. I'm thinking like the Coogan imitation from the trip and all that stuff. It's like a combination of two different characters. The yeah. one from The Italian Job and also Get Carter. Yeah, the... Right, blow the bloody doors off thing is from, uh, yeah, that. But the, then the other one the is sixteen Get years old. Yeah, yeah. yeah, right. It's like not even in Get Carter. It was like in the trailer for it, but then not in the movie or something. That line. Yeah, I don't even remember the character being that young that he would be talking about in Get Carter. But I'm only just realizing that they've come because I was always like, when would he have said all of that stuff? Yeah, yeah, it's in two <laughs> different movies. <laughs> People are probably like, what are they talking well, about? Well, right you'll now? have to throw that clip on. Well, broadsheet journalists have described my impressions as stunningly accurate. Well, they're wrong. I've not heard your Michael Caine, but I assume it would be something along the lines of, my name's Michael Caine. That is where you are so wrong. And you can look at my live video for proof, because that's the very thing I don't do. I say that he used to talk like that. Do you, Michael Caine? Okay. I say, Michael Caine used to talk like this in the 1960s, right? But that has changed. And I say that over the years, Michael's voice has come down several let me finish, and all of the cigars and the brandy, don't let me finish, can now be heard. Okay. The, I've not fucking finished in the back of the voice and the voice okay. now. Well, I've still not finished the voice. Well, you're panicking. I've, you know, because you look stop. like you're about to bloody talk. Let me finish. Right, so, Michael Caine's voice now in the Batman movies and in Harry Brown. I can't go fast because Michael Caine talks... Very, very slowly. This is how Michael Caine speaks. Michael Caine speaks to his nose like that. He gets very, very specific. It's very like that. When he gets loudly, it gets very loud indeed. It gets very specific. It's not quite nasal enough the way you're doing it, all right? You're not doing it the way he speaks. You're not doing it with the kind of... And you don't do the broken voice when he gets very emotional. Well, he gets very emotional indeed. She was only 16 years old. She was only 16. You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. That's Michael Caine. All right, so we got one on Paramount Plus, one on some random Roku bullshit, but Wind River has been streaming on stuff before, so you should be able to find it at some point. I would just recommend all of it. Sicario, Sicario 2. (laughs) I had to actually rent sicario 2 on voodoo so i actually went the extra mile to refresh on all of the i do just sicario 2 is one of those ones 
of fairly recent memory of just like when we'd be at the theater and the trailer would come on and be like, yes, <laughs> that was like such a fun trailer. Well, that so music intense. is like used in Sicario, oh, but yeah. then it's like cranked up right. for Sicario too. It's like, <laughs> yeah, and then ended up being used in a bunch of other trailers. I feel like, yeah, at least a couple. All right, we thank Peter for the recommendation. This was a fun one. Uh, a movie that we both definitely liked. I don't know if we would have thought to have covered it anytime soon. So it was no, probably not. And I was happy to revisit it. Yeah, for sure. I had the Blu-ray sitting around. I hadn't watched it in a while though. Anyway, thanks for listening. Follow the show on Twitter at Greatest Pod. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Give us a rating and review if you can. We would love to see what people have to say about the show if they like it. You know what? It's been a while since we've had a written review, so... Yeah, we're getting those ratings, but we'd like to see the reviews, too, if you have a moment. Good or bad, you know, good is always better. (laughs) (laughs) Let's stop with promoting the idea that we were happy with with bad reviews. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it gives us something to talk about. If you'd like a sticker, let us know on Twitter. Follow us on Letterboxd, Zach1983, Matt Crosby. I think we're going to slowly transition to doing the letterboxed plugs only like every other episode or every three. Yeah, we could just every now and then do away with it altogether. Maybe. You know, you're falling out of love with yeah, Letterbox. It's I'm been sort a of sick of yeah. it. <laughs> Everyone on there is so annoying. <laughs> <laughs> Folks. <laughs> anyway, next week we are probably going to delay the episode by 24 hours or so. To kick it off with June, we wanted to just launch right into one trashy summer rather than cram another one into May. So, just a heads up, the titles are going to maybe be a little weird some of the times. I think the the first one people will mostly know. Oh, yeah. But they will get weirder from there. Which some is fine. Of them. Yeah. So bear with us for June, and then we'll get back on track in July. <laughs> But we like to do trashy stuff too. I mean, if people could see my Blu-ray collection, oh yeah, there's we're a only lot of, doing like the most mainstream stuff. It's a lot of good material here. <laughs> we definitely like a wide variety of films, and this is the more trash element. I mean, if you can't get with that, then stop yeah. listening, folks. Come on. Yeah. So that's what you have to look forward to. One trashy summer will be up next, and is that it? Yeah, I think that's enough. All right, that's it. Thanks for listening. Long ago and far away In my old common labor shoes I turned the world all which away Just because you asked me to Like unto no other feet Simple love is simple truth There's no end to what I'd do Just because you ask me to Let the world call me a fool But if things are right with me and you That's all that matters and I'll do Thing you ask me to Let the world call me a fool 
become a child of you And after all that I've been through I turn and walk away from you Just because you ask me to Lord, I hope you never do Let the world call me a fool But if things are right with me and you That's all that matters and I'll do Anything you ask me 